0: The message of uh, today, this fifth in a series on Dear John, is no body, no brotherhood. Now, when I I looked at this, I thought, Dear John, okay, my name is John. By the way, I'm an elder at Water Church. Um, And I went back to my high school annual. Has anybody done that? That's as old as I am. (laughs) So looking back at those, those little write-ups at the back end of the book. Is, is that still done? People still sign annuals? So I went back to all the Dear Johns, and actually it was Dear Johns, J-O-H-N-S. That's what they call me. And so I looked at those, and it was eye-opening to see who had appreciated me, who had loved me, who had, you know. It was quite amazing to go back to the Dear Johns from long ago. You don't even need to know how long. But we're going to go back to the dear John letter from our brother John who lived longer than any of the apostles, was with Jesus at the cross. And that John is trying to tell us something extremely important in these six verses which I've been assigned. This is 1 John 4 and it's chapter Uh, It's verses 1 through 6, so we'll get to that in a moment. First, I want to read to you from a famous speech, but there is another side of our national life which is not so bright. Does that sound like it came straight from the latest news broadcast, from the latest social media post? In the midst of all of our scientific and technological advances, we still suffer the plague of racial conflict. We have not learned the simple art of loving our neighbors and respecting the dignity and worth of all human personality through our scientific genius we have made of the world a neighborhood. But through our moral and spiritual geniuses, we have failed to make of our own nation a brotherhood. This is the chief moral dilemma of our nation. Martin Luther King, 1957 in Tennessee, six years before he was murdered. He took the mantle of Christ upon himself, seeking peace among the family of America a broken family of America. Not only was the public domain broken, but the church itself was broken. There was something ugly in the land called segregation. And he confronted that stronghold of segregation, which failed to realize that we were made in the image of God, all of us made in the image of god race in the new testament we we hear the words echoing neither black nor white slave nor free male nor female greek nor jew but all are one in christ actually it did not say all are one in america did it it said all are one in christ So today we're talking about him. We're talking about his body. No body, flesh and blood, fully man, fully God. No body, no brotherhood. That's just the way it is. He brought reconciliation where the spirit of Cain was alive and well in the world. So John's purpose was to reveal the significance of the body of Jesus Christ. And he wanted us to understand something that was alive in the world, which rejected the creation story, which says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and he breathed life into the dust, into the clay, into Adam's lungs. And he made from Adam's rib a woman named Eve. Eve. And they had two offspring named Cain, the firstborn, and Abel. And so now let's read together and see what John told us in these six verses that is so important for us to hear and understand. It's very simple. It's so simple we could miss it. So from 1 John 4, 1 through 6 in the New Living Translation. Dear friends, do not believe everyone who claims to speak by the Spirit. You must test them to see if the Spirit they have comes from God. Do you think he's talking in religious circles only? He's talking about every voice you hear, every voice speaking in your life. He's talking about your family, your neighbor, your co-worker, your boss, He's talking about the things you read, the things you watch. He's talking about what you hear from the pulpit. He's talking about every voice. If you're not right now testing what I'm saying and allowing the Holy Spirit alone to be your teacher, then you're missing what John is saying. Jesus came flesh and blood so that He could be the pioneer of our faith. He could rescue us from sin and death. He could suffer as we suffer. He could be tempted as we're tempted. He could know us, and we could, most importantly of all, know our Father in heaven through Him. The face of God, Jesus Christ, the body, John walked with that man, was at that cross. Mary became His mother, Jesus from the cross dying, said, John, this is your mother. Mary, this is your son, the body of Christ in the world. So... Dear friends, don't believe everything you hear, every spirit that speaks. For there are many false prophets in the world. This is how we know if they have the Spirit of God. If a person claiming to be a prophet acknowledges that Jesus Christ came in a real body, that person has the Spirit of God. But if someone claims to be a prophet in the political circles, anywhere, and does not acknowledge the truth about Jesus, that person is not from God. Such a person has the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming to the world and indeed is already here. So, I know when I came along in Christianity and, and younger days, I was always thinking of that end time when that Antichrist would come and rule the world. I don't know if that's your own experience or thought process, but John is saying he is the, the spirit of Antichrist is already here in the people around you. It's a spirit speaking through everyone who has a voice. Now, it may be the spirit of truth is speaking. Let's hope this is the spirit of truth we're hearing today from the Word of God. So, he says... That spirit of antichrist is already here. But you belong to God, my dear children. You have already won a victory over those people because the spirit who lives in you is greater than the spirit who lives in the world. The spirit who lives in you, you you believers, you you Christians who know that Jesus came in a body, flesh and blood. Those people belong to the world. They speak from the world's viewpoint, and the world listens to them. But we belong to God. And those who know God listen to us. If they do not belong to God, they do not listen to us. That is how we know if someone has the spirit of truth or the spirit of deception. Spirits are speaking in our world. First point don't fear the bully. Point 1A, the spirit of Cain has brought a curse to all men. So in the first three verses of John's six verses that I'm speaking to today, he says you'll know if they have the spirit of God. If a person, if that spirit you hear is claiming to be a prophet and acknowledges Jesus Christ in a real body, that person has the spirit of God. But if someone claims to be a prophet and does not acknowledge that, That person is not from God. Such a person has the spirit of Antichrist, which you heard is coming into the world. Deed is already here. So God comes up to the firstborn of Adam and Eve, and he says, where's Abel, your brother? And Cain says, am I my brother's keeper? He's denying all responsibility. He's living in jealousy, bitterness, unforgiveness, anger, and even murder because he has already bashed the brains out of his younger brother Abel. He's already bashed his brains out, and God knows that. And God says that his blood cries out from the ground. I hear his blood crying from the ground. You've already killed him. He says, sin is at your door wanting to devour you. And he goes on in the verses that follow and said, because of what you've done, everything you touch will be cursed. You plant a crop, it'll be cursed. It doesn't matter how hard you work. It doesn't matter how often you water. Have you ever had a project where nothing went right? No matter how hard you worked, it just got worse and worse. I had one yesterday. My lawnmower. Okay? And so you had these things happening intermittently in your life. The grace of God takes away that curse in your life if you let him. We have to let the Holy Spirit speak into our daily routine. And so God declared that curse that he had pulled down over his own life because of murder, anger, and so some of us have come in today, and I, I don't want to condemn you over this, but you've come in and the, and the rock is just sticking out of your pocket, right? You carry it everywhere you go. Every time you open your mouth to share with somebody, you tell the story about this rock this rock of Cain. You, re- you remember what happened, how they did you wrong, and you carry this rock around. This is the rock of Cain. This is the rock that curses our lives. Jesus alone can break that curse. His cross breaks it. We bring the rock because we're thinking of the rock right now. Each one of you Online is thinking of that rock in your pocket that you've never completely laid down. You just can't lay it down. You you don't necessarily say, I'll never forgive them, but that's what happens in your life. You can't quit talking about what they did to you. But we have to bring that to the cross, the rock, Jesus Christ. And upon that rock God will build a church inside of us. We'll be part of his church. We have to lay that rock down of jealousy. So John writes in 1 John 3, this is a message you have heard from the beginning. We we should love one another. The whole letter of John is continually emphasizing Love one another. Love one another. We must not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and killed his brother. And why did he kill him? Because Cain had been doing what was evil and his brother had been doing what was righteous. So the division today, a lot of it, is this division between Cain and Abel, the righteous brother and the, unbr- the evil brother. So, don't be surprised, dear brothers and sisters, if the world hates you, don't fear the bully. 1B, the spirit of Antichrist doesn't just affect the individual, the canes among us, but the spirit of Antichrist affects the nations as well. So, back in uh, 1930. My father had lived in, in Harlem, New York for three years. Harlem, if you don't know, is a black borough of New York. It may be less so today than it was in 1922, 3, and 4 when my father was there. He lived there probably because it was cheaper and he was going to Columbia University nearby. And he would go by this church that was being built there, the Abyssinian Baptist Church. He would pass it probably almost daily And it took two years to build this church in the Harlem area. And so, six years later, after my father had gone off to teach school, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a German theologian, came to New York City and found the Abyssinian Baptist Church and found among them black brothers that he fell in love with. He even traveled in a car with them to Mexico City, a car he purchased. He taught on a teaching fellowship at the Union Theological Seminary where he found the Antichrist instead of the gospel of Jesus. The gospel of Jesus had been pushed out of their seminary, and he began to bring Christ back in. He confronted the bully that was affecting that teaching stronghold in New York City. He, in 1939, when the rise of Hitler, Adolf Hitler was beginning to to expand Nazism into a war, to a global war, and he went back to Germany, he was welcomed in New York City. They loved him, but he went back. And when he went back, he explained silence in the face of evil is itself evil. Not to speak is to speak, not to act is to act. He couldn't stay in New York. He felt God's unction that he would go back and he would do everything that he could for Germany, for the church in Germany, for Christ in the church, and to do everything he could to stop this evil antichrist in the world. Hitler ended up taking down, basically on his own, 85 million people. Eighty-five million people died in World War II. Six million Jews. He wanted to exterminate the entire race of Jews. He was obsessed with race. God, in the beginning, created them, created man. Male and female, he created them. In his own image, he created them. And yet the world and the power of the world aligns around this false gospel, this anti-Christ message about race. It's a lie from the pit of hell. It's the the, uh, spirit of deception in the world. And so Hitler said that Dietrich Bonhoeffer and one other German figure... Had thwarted his plan to rule Germany for a thousand years. He believed he was Messiah, that he would live a thousand years. Don't fear the bully. one see the spirit of Antichrist infects not only the individual, the nations, but also the neighborhood. It, in, it infects your home. So, Ann and I, my wife and I, when we got married, it took us about seven years before we finally found a church. We were working on the anti-ballistic missile system in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. I don't know if anybody even remembers that. But we were working on that project. And one of our co-workers said, you need to go to this St. Stephen's Episcopal Church. That the Spirit of God is moving there. Bible teaching is happening there. It's an all-black church with a white priest. And we said, we're going to go. Went to the the first Bible study. The first teaching was from John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and blood and came to live among us. John would go on in the book of John, the gospel of John, and he would say, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that all who believe in Him would not die, would not perish, but would have eternal life. He sent His Son not to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. So, the false prophet, the spirit of Antichrist, denies that very teaching that God sent His Son into a world as the only means of rescuing us from sin and death and reestablishing a relationship with the Father through the doorway of Christ, the way, the truth, and the life. So while we were there, we got baptized in the Holy Spirit within a year of being in this all-black, white priest church with a handful, small, small handful of of white people, younger people like ourselves and we were baptized in the Holy Spirit. I ended up becoming elected as the chief warden of this church and during an outreach that we had, we went into a home where a woman, a 35-ish woman uh, in this all-black neighborhood invited us to come to her house. And we went in to share the gospel with her. As we walked to the door, we looked on the wall. There on the wall was a two by three portrait of Satan, with big buzzard feathers all the way around, applique on the painting. We walked and sat down at a little dinette table right in front of Satan's portrait. Satan was on my left shoulder. The woman was straight in front of me, and my my uh, colleague from the church, my brother from the church, was there beside me. And we began leading her through the gospel. And we got to the place where where we said, Jesus has forgiven your sins when you believe. That Jesus from the cross said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And the door burst open and a black man came through the door, smashed the door against the wall, let out sounds like I've never heard as he saw us. And she turned and she said, sit down and be quiet These people have come to share something that we need to hear. We finished the gospel story from the book of Romans with her, and she prayed to receive Jesus under the painting of Satan. You see, it's a parable of our own experience. It's not usually that dramatic that the the painting of the Antichrist, the painting of of the spirit of deception is right there on our wall, right next to our shoulder. It's not usually that obvious, is it? But it was obvious in this house, in that brightly lit room, where there was the victim of Satan across the room in the sofa, slumped there, silent. And there was this woman who had felt God's word come and bring her to life. And so it was years later that I realized she was the thief on the cross beside Christ who turned and said to the accuser on the other cross, who was speaking the same words that Satan had said in the wilderness where he told Jesus, he said, climb down from the temple, jump down from the temple, prove that you're Christ. The angel will will catch you. This scoffer on the cross next to Jesus was saying, "Climb down if you're Jesus Christ, if you're Messiah, and save us." Was was accusing him of not being the Christ. So the Antichrist affects the neighborhood, but the Spirit of Truth comes in to bring life into the darkness, out of the death and destruction. What the enemy meant for evil, God meant for good. The enemy meant for evil, God meant for good. What the enemy means for evil in your life today, in our world today, in our country today, in New England today, in your neighborhood today, what he meant for evil, God intends to bring good from that darkness. And he will see it through. His grace will see it through. So, overcoming. Number two is you have overcome. When you believe in the Son who came flesh and blood, Son of the Father, not to condemn the world, but to save the world through His coming. When you believe that, you are overcoming those terrible circumstances that may be confronting you today you to belong to God, John wrote. My dear children, do you feel like a dear child today? John said, you're God's dear children if you know Him through His Son. You have already won a victory over those people because the Spirit who lives in you is greater than the Spirit who lives in the world." Don't be distressed. Jesus came to the disciples. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, bring your anxiety, your fear, your problem to God in prayer. Bring your confession to God in prayer. Bring your fear to God in prayer that He might establish you in love and power and boldness, illuminating your life. Those people belong to the world. They speak for the from the world's viewpoint, and the world listens to them. The world listens to them. But the Spirit of God is speaking through us when we let Him. We can override the Holy Spirit even. We can say, no, Holy Spirit, not now, not now. <laughs> Get behind me, Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit wants to speak life and light in every situation. He wants to speak grace and love. He wants to speak the loving of one another into every situation. So our, we moved in 1995 into the house that we still live in, in North Attleboro, less than a mile from here. This church didn't even exist yet. It existed in Norwood, but it didn't exist here. And our longtime friends and family connections, Louise and her son, Sam Jones, came to visit on separate occasions. And Louise came at Christmas time, and we celebrated Christmas together, and we went to Plymouth, and they went to to Boston to the garden. They were disassembling the, the Boston Garden at that time for the new facility. And her son had played there at the Boston Garden for all those years. He had won nine championships. Sam Jones had won nine championships with the Celtics. He was in the Hall of Fame, and later or earlier in that year and I don't know the sequence but he came to visit and when he came he brought that same overcoming spirit that graciousness and love and caring that Louise had brought when Ann was a little girl she'd gotten on a bus with Louise and in Durham North Carolina and Louise said baby now she called her baby she said baby Anne spent every day under the table where Louise was working in their household. Anne's father was a cardiologist at Duke. And so Louise was there every day raising Anne, telling Anne that Jesus would take care of every situation. Over and over and over she heard that that Louise was praying, Luby was praying for her and that Luby was praying. Asking Jesus to take care of every situation she's in. So Louise, so Luby said, Baby, you sit We're down right here in the front of the bus, and I'm going to go to the back, and as soon as we get there to our destination, I will come and get you. And Anne said, No, Luby, no, Luby. Why are you having to go back to the back? She'd lived with her all this time, and she never understood. There was something terrible in the land, something called segregation. It had infected everything. It even infected the bus ride. And so it was the first eye-opening experience for her to understand there's something badly wrong. And Louise ended up sharing what it was like to grow up in eastern North Carolina. Sam again came. He took my son to North Attleboro High School, went to all the rooms, went to all the sports facilities, made my son Christopher the hero, And he went out and played a round of golf with me. And in North Attleboro in 1995, we ran into white foursomes. He was the only black person on that course, as far as I know. And he was friends with every single person we encountered all day during that round of golf. Absolutely the most loving, open affectionate, winning person that I've, that I've known. And we went out to dinner that night to a restaurant, and after dinner, he said, did you see what happened? And we said, no. And he said, the owner led us to the, the darkest corner of his bar instead of sending us out into the public dining area. He, he said, I looked in his eyes, and I saw racism and hatred in his eyes. He said, it's not my first time. I've seen it a thousand times. He said, when I was playing with the Celtics and we were eating in the kitchen and we would, we would travel with the team and then we would have to separate and go to a separate hotel or motel. He said, I saw that same look a thousand times. But Sam Jones has overcome those people." He's overcome this world. The spirit of truth lives in him. He had probably raised this stone more than once on those trips, those years growing up in North Carolina, and he had probably been ready to kill his brother. But he had put the stone down. So Louise and Sam both had overcome Number three, the shoes are already on your feet. And what shoes is that? Some of you know what shoes I'm talking about, right? You know about the full armor of God, and you know what those shoes are. They're very unexpected shoes. You're putting on the armor of God for battle, and yet these shoes don't seem to have anything to do with the battle. But remember that in Ephesians 6, Paul tells us, the battle is not with flesh and blood. It's with powers, principalities, dark realms, demonic kingdoms, strongholds in the heavenly realm. It's not with flesh and blood. That's what we make it. That's what we make it. But it's not with flesh and blood. And so in 1 John 4 verse 6, This, that is how we know if someone has the spirit of truth or the spirit of deception. He says, we belong to God and those who know God listen to us. You got somebody that's not listening to you and you've been trying and trying and trying. Maybe you've even done it on social media and they don't listen to you. Well, there's a reason for that. The spirit of deception is speaking through them. The spirit of truth is speaking to you. There's no fellowship between the two. Only God can create that fellowship. No body, no brotherhood. So in Ephesians 6, Paul wrote, stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth comes from Christ. It is Christ. And the body armor of God's righteousness, righteousness, not from ourselves, not because we do well, not because we do good, not because we obey the law, not because we do things that we should do, not because we come to church, not because we pray, but because of what Christ did on the cross. His righteousness protecting our heart, our lungs, the air that God put in our lungs. For shoes, this is the the surprising one, we we know there's the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Cuts two edged. It's a two edged sword. The spirit of the shoes, the peace, put on peace. It's the Prince of Peace. When I became a believer in Atlanta, Georgia 52 years ago, I met the Prince of Peace. That was my testimony from near suicide to peace like that. And that same peace has weathered every storm since then. The prince of peace put on though the, the, the shoes of the gospel of peace. To go into battle? That makes no sense. When you put on the shoes of peace, you lay that stone at the foot of the cross you don't carry it into battle. You carry the gospel of peace, the gospel of forgiveness, the reconciliation of Christ. Shoes are already on the feet, tearing down the stronghold of Antichrist. So in Washington, D.C. in 1997, I went overnight train with a bunch of men here from Attleboro in this area, and we arrived with 1.4 million men, One of the men leading the worship was a a black pastor from Pittsburgh who had actually come into our house in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, and spent time with us after a conference where he had spoken and led worship. And he was leading worship and prayer, and what we were praying for was the healing of the church, the healing of a church that had given sway to segregation, a false gospel, a false message from the pit of hell. That God somehow would decide between races when God's whole purpose was to bring reconciliation. That false gospel, we were praying for God's forgiveness for ourselves, for our fathers, for our grandfathers, for our great-grandfathers. We were praying for the brokenness between fathers and sons. I got lost in 1.4 million people, and I would just get down on my knees with whichever group I was with when they told us what to pray and we would pray together. And Paul, in writing to the freshly reconciled Corinthian church, he had really come down hard on them in the first letter. And he wrote this, and he gave us, God gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. 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 It's no longer in the pocket. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. The shoes were already on your feet. We went down into Rhode Island about six weeks ago. It was a cool morning in June. I actually had on a heavy sweatshirt. We were in the, sh- we were in the shade. Sunny day, beautiful day. This is a picture of the table before all the breakfast had been served with our brother and sister in Christ who were part of this church. When we got through the 1760 kind of era house that he had restored from foundation up, we prayed around that table. And the thing that rung in my memory from that prayer time, beautiful time of prayer, was what God had said. You haven't wept enough over your sins. And I thought, that makes no sense because we have been forgiven. There's no condemnation. There's no record of wrongs in God. He, he, in the deepest part of the ocean, as far as the east is from the west. So, what is God trying to tell me? And, And I didn't understand it. I thought, well, maybe he's talking about, you know, the the godly sorrow, I'm not weeping enough over my own sins to bring that godly sorrow, realizing that I have offended God. I made an idol. I've offended God. I've committed adultery in my relationship with God, that maybe that's what God is saying. But I felt that that was not the total of it. And so when I went to Genesis 45, 15, because I literally went to the Word of God and searched for the answer. For God to show me what he was talking about in that beautiful setting in Rhode Island. It was one of those times when you got out of COVID-19 and you just felt, oh, thank God. Thank God I can take my mask off and eat breakfast around this big table and and watch the hummingbirds. And it's just beautiful. And Genesis 45, 15. Then Joseph kissed each of his brothers. Some of you know the story. A lot of you maybe don't know the story. Online, you may or may not know the story of Joseph and his brothers in Egypt. He kissed each of his brothers. He wept over his brothers. And after that, they began talking freely. See what the enemy had meant for evil. God meant for good. This was God's plan. This was God's plan to reconcile. The brothers had sold him, that is Joseph, into slavery. They were jealous of his brightly colored coat. They were jealous of his vision about them bowing down. And now they were bowing down to him. They didn't recognize their brother. And, And remember John first chapter, they didn't recognize Jesus when he came in the flesh and blood. They didn't know who he was. And Joseph, his brothers did not know who he was. They knew he could kill them. He could execute them right there. They were staying in Joseph's house and that made it all the more frightening. They didn't recognize who Joseph was. And then Joseph kissed each of his brothers and wept over them. And then they understood who he was, and they talked freely. Until we weep, until we kiss, we cannot talk with each other. We can't have that conversation God wants. In our church, in our world, God is waiting for us to take the rock out of our pocket and put it down at the cross and to weep and to kiss and to talk. The reconciliation of Christ. Joseph was a picture of our Jesus. He w- he became a slave so that we could be set free.